0: Greetings to you. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for bringing the church into this room. Uh, Greetings to our brothers and sisters at Lake Mary and Waterford and uh, our brothers and sisters at uh, the 33rd Street. Thank you for joining with us and being with us. In uh, 1998, Tom Brokaw uh, had a book that he had written, published that year. It was a book that became very well-known at that time and still is pretty well known today. It was a book called The Greatest Generation. And I think it was one of the finer historical books of the last half century. It's an instant bestseller and it's it's still able, I've personally experienced to capture the hearts and minds of all who read it. I just recently reread it and and, uh, did it again. It's a story of men and women who fought and served at home uh, during World War II, years 1941 through uh, 1945. He writes uh, in the introduction to this book that these men and women were mature beyond their years. They were tempered by what they had been through, disciplined by their military training and sacrifices. They married in record numbers and gave birth to another distinctive generation, the baby boomers, me, my generation, right? They stayed true to their values, of the personal responsibility, duty, honor, faith, Tom Brokaw writes of these men and women, and uh, one of the members of of that greatest generation was my father, Jacob Keller. Served in the Navy during World War II, and uh, he was my father, and uh, my wife's father also served in the Army uh, in Europe and and, uh, fought at Anzio, and later on in France, and uh, both of our parents, both of our fathers, were members of this greatest generation. Interesting group of people challenges uh, that that were uh, challenges that I can't even imagine being put through. We've spent the uh, last several weeks working through and studying the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've looked at the Beatitudes, qualifications of what it means to live in the kingdom, call to be salt and light to the world around us, a clarification in the latter part of chapter 5 of what the Old Testament law really intends to do in terms of not just our, calling us to obedience, but calling our hearts to follow after a God who, who calls us into kingdom living. And then into chapter 6, last week we talked about the whole idea of these, these three uh, religious uh, services that people did that would prove their religiosity, their, their prayer life, their fasting, and their giving to the poor. And uh, in the middle of this uh, is uh, a, a prayer that Jesus uh, gave his disciples. And I want us uh, to read that. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13 are printed on your bulletin. I want to start a little bit earlier uh, and uh, just sort of reread something we covered last week and, and just to give context to Jesus uh, as, as he gives uh, this prayer to his disciples, starting with verse 5. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of God. This is what's commonly referred to, verses 9 through 13, as the Lord's Prayer. Or if you come from a Roman Catholic background, this is called the Our Father Uh, This is given as the antidote uh, in in the context of what Jesus is saying, the antidote to to showy and repetitious prayer. And that they were prevalent in in Jesus' day, and he he confronts this. And, And it should be noted that this is not the model prayer, but it's the model for our prayers. It's not the model prayer, although many times I think it's used in that way, but it's the model for our prayers. Jesus Jesus says, this is not what you should pray. He says, this is how you should pray. There are, there are several characteristics of, of this prayer that sort of can guide us as we communicate with the God who created us. So I want to just sort of parse these verses and, and, and talk through them and give a perspective, at least the perspective that, that uh, has encouraged me as I, as I consider my own prayer life. The first thing to be noted is, and, and, and Jesus uh, refers to God as Father several times, chapter five and, and, and then several times the beginning of chapter six. He refers to God as our Father in heaven. This is new. This is not something that, that uh, is uh, common in the Old Testament. Uh, we, we, we see God as shepherd. David in his psalm talks about God as being our shepherd, but this whole fatherhood of God, Jesus introduces that in a very, very special way. In fact it's 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 almost revolutionary our father in heaven now i was blessed with a i believe a, a, a great father and i'll tell you a little bit more about him as, as we go through this this prayer and, and parse it uh, but i realized that um, not all of us had fathers that that were encouraging to us some of us had fathers who were the opposite some of us had fathers who weren't there uh, maybe they weren't there emotionally. Some of us had fathers that weren't even there physically. Uh, my father was a great man, but my father wasn't perfect. No human father is perfect. But Jesus uses this metaphor, this picture of God, our creator, as our spiritual father. Think about that. Our spiritual father. We all have father wounds. John Eldridge has this wonderful chapter in Wild at Heart, this book for men, talking about the wounds that, that, that our human fathers many times can give us, but God, our Heavenly Father, is the only one who is perfect. So as we go through and, and, and you think of this whole concept of God as Father, don't let your past trip you up because even if you had a, a father that wasn't all he should be, you did come to a point in your life where you realized there really needs to be something more to what it means to be the right kind of father. God, I think, planted that in our hearts, and Jesus says, "This is how you should pray." How do you pray, by the way? What, what, you know, what, what constitutes your prayer life? I, I was doing an analysis of my prayer life. Do you ever pray to the parking lot God? You know what I mean. That you need the parking space right away. Do you ever pray to that God? Oh God, I know this is trivial, but you know, I'm in a hurry. I really like a space, right? You afraid to that God? I. Three weeks ago, I did. It was a real serious prayer too. Um, Help me with this test, God. Do you pray to that, God? I prayed this in college a lot. Lord, you know I haven't studied the way I should, but if you could just imbue me with, endow me with knowledge beyond my ability, I would really be grateful. That never worked very well, but I prayed that prayer a lot. Um, do Do you pray to the get me out of trouble, God? Not in a good space. Don't know if this is a good, good spot for me. Lord, I really need you to get me out of this. Do you pray those prayers? Those, those are, I'm not criticizing those prayers. I pray those prayers. I think they're valid. I think God is our Heavenly Father. I think he hears everything we pray. But I want you to see how Jesus begins this, this template, this example of how we should pray. He, he begins it in a very profound way. He says, our Father in heaven. And he says, hallowed hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. The the Greek word is is the word that also uh, is used for saints, ones ones who are set apart. This is is us. When we come to God, we are honoring him. We are are coming to him in reverential awe. This is not just some person that, that somehow controls our life that we just want to line up. This is... The God of the universe. Jesus says, when when you want to take your prayer life seriously, you begin by giving him reverential awe. Hallowed be your name. And then he he says, then we pray, your kingdom come. Remember, this this sermon is about the kingdom of heaven living. So there is uh, not just a reverential awe, there, there is a God who's worthy of loyalty. He is our king, and we are acknowledged that he is the leader of that kingdom. And then we, we are to have the attitude of saying to God, your will be done. So he's worthy of reverential awe, worthy of loyalty. Now he's worthy of obedience. My dad, uh, uh, was, a, was a good man. He was a serious man. He, we had rules at home. I remember uh, the, the, the times when I would ask my dad for things. I didn't ask my dad for things in, in some cavalier way. I did it respectfully. I did it knowing that he was in charge. I did it knowing that, that I would do really whatever he decided. He was my father. And If you knew my father, you would have done whatever he said too. He just would have. He was that kind of a man. From the use of the car, the family car, to to where I would go to college. My dad, I knew, had some things that he wanted to say to me, and I needed to have that respect. How is your prayer life in terms of respect? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So there's a seriousness and sobriety that Jesus gives to our prayer life, along with the encouragement to have a conversation with the one who gave us our very lives. He is our spiritual father, our heavenly father. Then there's a, a, a I've sort of divide this up into three sections in terms of what Jesus then helps us focus on in terms of you know, what, what he encourages us to pray for. Uh, they all start with F. There are three points. This is the way I do... My message is sorry if that, that, that's offensive. Even this is the way I remember things, though. So they all start with that. The first one is we pray to the God, the one who furnishes things for us. He furnishes things. Jesus gives these three primary focal points, first of which is the recognition that it's God who furnishes us with what sustains our life. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God gives us our bread, our covering. Indeed, he gives us our very breath. Every movement we make, every thought we think, is enabled by the one who gave us life. And this is an acknowledgment of God dependence. So this first focal point is our physical lives, how we go through our life physically. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a present need, this day, And it's a basic need, daily bread. Jesus doesn't say, give us this day our filet mignon. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Bread uh, uh, a staple in that culture and and, in thousands of cultures uh, before and since of just the basic food of of sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. And when you read that, there's a redundancy there. Isn't it interesting? Give us this day our daily bread, this day daily. I think what Jesus is doing is he's, he's breaking this apart a little bit. He's, he's saying, you need to stay in the present when you pray. And you need to pray for the basics. So he doesn't encourage us to say, you know, help six years from now, my retirement to be okay. I guess you can pray for that, right? But this is a, he says our prayer life needs to be a continual conversation when it comes to our physical lives. On, on, what it is that we need to, to survive. Uh, my father was a millwright. My father worked in factories. He, he installed, it was a skilled trade. He installed complicated machineries and auto factories, glass factories, in Northwest Ohio. He worked in all, all sorts of venues and places. Uh, my dad had a work ethic uh, that was very, very strong. I, you, you pick this up as a kid because, there, you know, every day he was at work. He would come home the same time every day. He, he would work overtime when, when it was available. My dad had this statement, if there's work to be done, we're going to do it. Uh, if it's overtime, it's okay. There, there's, there's work to be done. We're going to do the work. I talked with, uh, when, as I got into more of my adult years, late teen and adult years, I, I met a friend of his who uh, worked with him. My dad would never have told me these things. My dad, um, uh, when he would work, the union that he worked for said when the whistle blew for a shift, that's when he could take out his tools. And uh, after the tools were out, he would begin to work. But my dad would uh, get his tools prepared so when the whistle blew, he would begin his work right at that time. And the union said 15 minutes before the whistle blew at the end of the shift, that uh, he could start putting his tools away. My dad would work right up to when the whistle blew, and then he would put the tools away. I would have never have known that if someone hadn't told me, but that was my dad. And then, then Cliff, this guy who was talking to him, he said, you know, not everyone liked that in your dad, uh, the, the people he was working with. He said, but every, every one of those people respected him. I grew up in a family that I knew who gave us sustenance it was my dad my dad was the provider my mom worked too my mom helped in that she assisted encouraged all that that was true but dad was the one who 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 carried the load remember one time my dad worked uh, there was a rush job at a factory he had to have a certain lineup by monday morning he had to work through the weekend he worked 24 hours straight one day i remember him coming home and uh, we were all trying to be quiet he was so tired he couldn't get to sleep have you ever been that tired that was my dad Jesus is saying, Your Heavenly Father is the one who provides. He's the one who gives you bread. And He takes you through day by day. He's the one who allows us to live physically. And when we pray, we need to focus, be thankful, and pray for those things. Give us this day our daily bread. So our prayer life needs to focus on our real needs, not our wishes or fanciful desires when it comes to our physical lives. So God furnishes, that's the first one. Now uh, Jesus introduces to the God who forgives. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The one who forgives. Second focal point is our relational life. Physical and then relational. Our relationship with God, our relationship with those around us. So when we pray, Jesus says we need to take inventory of our relationship with God and then our relationship with others. Do you take inventory of your relationship with God when you pray? I mean, do you, do you say, oh, how, how am I doing spiritually? I, ask, I, I, I know I've said this, I don't know how many times when I speak, I ask people this all the time. How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? Because there's an inventory that Jesus invites us to do. And in that inventory, when, when we do it, if there are areas of my life that, that are mis misdeeds, they, they displease my Father, I need to confess those. I need to ask for forgiveness. There needs to be a connection that is, that is established and reestablished in that way. It's not just firing up some request. It's, how am I doing in my relationship with God? And then he says, you better also give Some perspective and and, and some intention to how you're doing in your relationship with others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So, our relationships are centered in the concept of forgiveness. Now, the word for forgiveness here is a a Greek word, afiami, and it means to literally send away or permit to depart. When when we ask God for forgiveness, we're asking Him not to. To, to just separate that part of our lives from our relationship with him. We're, we're making that confession based on, of course, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then what we do is we, we look and we say, okay, how am I doing in relationship with others? Am I living a life of forgiveness as well? So we ask for forgiveness of our sins, forgive us our debts. We forgive those who sinned against us as we forgive our debtors. Uh, I, I lived in a home where my both my parents were christians my dad uh became a very solid believer uh in in uh the navy during world war ii as i suppose a lot of soldiers did um, i remember my dad told me in later years he said yeah i prayed uh, for a christian wife my dad was single when he was in the navy yeah, met my mom right at the tail end of world war ii and um uh, he said, I, I wanted a Christian wife. And he, and he said, I really wanted to, to lead a Christian life. My dad did a nice job of doing that. And one of, the, one of the perspectives that I saw was the fact that there was a forgiveness that pervaded our home. There wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of standard of performance in our home. We, we needed to be obedient, but there was a level of forgiveness that, that was, was, uh, uh, it was encouraging and it was motivating. Where I saw it most was the fact that when when my parents had conflict, and they didn't have much conflict at all, my dad was the one who always was there to say, okay, let's resolve this thing. There were no awkward days of silence in our home. There was no snide remarks that were made. We certainly couldn't make it to our mother. I'll tell you, that that was not allowed. And we didn't even dream of doing it to our dad. Jesus is saying your heavenly father wants to connect with you Remove the impediments. What's standing in the way? Forgive us our sins. And then we take that forgiveness and we extend it to others. He's the God who furnishes physically, our physical life. The God who forgives our relational life. And then he deals with our spiritual life. He's the one who frees us up. He frees us. Lead us not, he says, into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the one who frees. Third focal point, our spiritual lives. So there's a focus here on avoiding temptation, temptation to sin and the evil that's continually encroaching our lives. When we pray, we focus not only on our physical and relational health, but also our spiritual health. How, how am I doing spiritually? Don't lead us into temptation. It, it, it seems to be a little bit of a contradiction if you know James chapter 1, as James writes this, this letter to the early church, and he says that God is not the one who tempts us. Let no man say that he's been tempted by God. So what's Jesus trying to communicate here? It's, it's, a, little, it's a little tricky as we look at that. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I really like what uh, John Stott wrote in this passage. He paraphrases uh, Jesus' statement in this way. I think he, 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 he gets, he's right on point as he says this. What Jesus is saying is, do not allow us to be so led into temptation that it overwhelms us. God, don't let me get over my head. Don't let me get to a place where I'm going to be overwhelmed, where I'm going to displease you. But rescue us from the evil one. He's the one who frees us up spiritually. He's the one who rescues. One of the the earlier memories I have of my dad, I think I was in first grade. uh, It was an evening where I think he probably had the responsibility of putting me to bed. We usually prayed and and, um, don't remember that part, but I remember the part right after, um, my dad was getting ready to leave my bedroom, and the, and the light was on the hall, dark in my room. I remember him silhouetted, silhouetted in the, in the doorway. And uh, we lived in the in the 50s. I grew up in the 50s, and uh, there was a there was a threat of nuclear war in the 50s. It was it was a tangible threat. There were commercials on television about building bomb shelters in your backyard, and uh, you know. Phrases like, take him down to the shelter, Dad, and have a good time down there. Like in the bomb shelter, that was going to be a good place to be. And we were taught in our classrooms that in case of a nuclear attack, we would duck under our desks and cover our heads. Like that was going to help, right? But that's, that's what we were taught. So, I mean, this, this sort of permeates the hearts of a, heart of a kid. And so I said, Dad, I remember saying this very clearly, Dad, I, I'm worried about the H-bomb really was i I was worried about the h-bomb i remember my dad stopping turning around just silhouetted in that doorway and uh, my dad said this statement he says well why don't you let me worry about the h-bomb how's that and you know that sounded really good to me and i remember it was okay my dad had it covered he freed me from fear Jesus is saying, God, our spiritual father, frees us from fear. The times that we think we're going to be overwhelmed. The times that we think we're going to stumble and not get up. Jesus says, when you pray, pray for that deliverance. Deliver us from the evil one. This prayer is a template for how our prayer life should function. What it should focus on what it should accomplish. Notice that Jesus didn't bother answering the question. I hear this question quite a bit. Why should I pray for something if God already knows what's going to happen? Why should I pray for it if God already knows what I want? Did you notice the verse right before he gives this this prayer in in verse eight? Don't be like the, the, the heathen, the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Huh, and then he tells us how to pray. What's that all about? God knows what we need before we ask him, why ask? It's because he calls us into relationship. He calls us to be centered in his will and centered in his grace. The point here isn't what we can get out of prayer. The the point is how, how we can get closer to the one who gave us life. He's the God who furnishes us with our very lives. He forgives us as we forgive others and He frees us from temptations and being overwhelmed. My my father died in 1994 Um, and about a month before he died. Uh, I told you this years ago. He, he gave me this ring. I, I don't wear it all the time, but I wore it tonight. Um, and uh, this is the ring that he wanted to give me. This is the ring that he wore. It really wasn't his ring, this, our little family legacy. This is my Uncle Ed's ring and my dad's brother. My dad would never spring for a ring with a diamond in it. It says a diamond in it, it's really, it's, my dad was much too frugal for that. But my, when my uncle passed away, he had one son, Ed Junior, and he didn't have any children. Ed Junior sent it, this ring to my dad, said, Jake, um, I don't have any kids. Pass this down generation to generation. Pass it down generation to generation. And um, my dad, he, he was not feeling well. He, he was uh, not in a good place, but I remember he was lying in the bed and he, he gave me this ring and I, I had uh, an emotional moment when he got the ring, he, said, he told me, he says, this is going to be yours someday. I said, "Well, wow, it's a good ring. He says, not yet, not yet, it's not yours yet. When I wear this ring, it's a, it's a reminder of the heritage that my dad provided for me. It's also a reminder of my dad's faith. If, if you've had parents that died that you were close to, I remember feeling sort of abandoned when my dad died. I just, there's today... It, 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 there, there are times uh, to this day where I feel like I just want to call my dad. I just want, I just want to get his opinion. I want, I want to get his idea of what's going on and what I should do next. But this ring is a reminder of my dad's faith, and it's a reminder to me that I have a father that I can call on, I have a dad. Jesus said it's our Father in heaven. And we can call on him freely because of who he is and what he's done for us. He's a father that's always there. So as we close, I'd like you to stand and uh, there's gonna, the Lord's Prayer is going to be up on this on the screen. It's not the one translation in the NIV. It's, it's, it's the older one that I, I like the the older Lord's first. so stand to your feet, and I'd like us to, to pray this together. Uh, and those of you in, in Lake Mary and, and Waterford and 33rd Street, stand as well, To be on your screens. Let's, let's read this together, read it full voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, As we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you call us. uh, Not just to be obedient but into a relationship. Thank you that we have the opportunity and the privilege and the, uh, the joy of communicating with you. And I pray that as I draw closer to you through my prayer life, as my brothers and sisters draw closer, that we would understand what it is. That you're the God who gives us the very life that we have physically. That you're the God who, who, who forgives us as we forgive others. And you're the God who frees us spiritually. Lord, help us celebrate that. As we come to your table, help us to remember the one who sacrificed so we could have that relationship, this relationship with you. It's in his glorious name we pray. Amen.